Let's open our Bibles to the second psalm for our reading this morning, Psalm 2. In Philippians chapter 2 this morning, we're going to be reading and considering the fact that God has highly exalted the Lord Jesus Christ and given Him a name which is above every name. And this is a prophecy written in 1000 B.C., 1000 years before Jesus of Nazareth, describing that very event. Psalm 2 is a wonderful psalm. It's appealed to several times in the New Testament. But here it describes the kings of the earth setting themselves against the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read these words, I hope you'll remember that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east, and Herod the Great, near the very end of his terrible life, killed all the children in Bethlehem in the, in, with the intent of destroying the Lord Jesus Christ, because he didn't want a king competing with him. That was Herod the Great. Herod and Tiphys, the first and the second, also opposed the Lord Jesus Christ, with one of them becoming friends with Pilate right. over the trial and crucifixion of our Lord. So keep that in mind as we read the first few verses, and then read about what it says when God took a look at all that and set Jesus Christ in his own right hand, far above them all, and then a warning is given to all kings that they better submit themselves and humble themselves before Jesus Christ. And if kings ought to kiss the Son, how much more should we humble ourselves? Let us rise together and read the precious Word of God in Psalm 2. In unison, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, And ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The first three verses of the heathen and kings of the earth, uniting together in their opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the heathen to the Bible, because we're Gentiles. We do not come from Abraham, 
nor are we part of the nation of Israel. So in the Bible we were known as the nations or the heathen. These kings and the earth have said in verse 3, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And men haven't changed a bit. They hate the binding control of the word of God and of a God that has control and authority over their lives. Because we all want to be our own God, deciding what is right and wrong for ourselves. And so there's a rebellion that's in the heart of every man toward God and toward his word. Because his word restricts our activities. His word tells us how we ought to think, how we ought to speak, and how we ought to act. And we don't want to be told that. So what does the Lord have to say about that? He says in verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. God thinks it's hilarious that little worms like us would rise up on our hind legs and make a gesture toward heaven that we're not going to submit to him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, we live in a politically correct generation when men don't like to read Psalm 2, nor believe it, nor promote it. But Psalm 2 is as true as any portion of Scripture. God laughs. God laughs at men when they rebel against him. When some little pipsqueak on this earth that is only going to live 70 years, then is going to crumble into dust, raises up its ignorant little mind and heart against the God of heaven, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. He'll laugh hilariously in derision. Verse 5, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. God is very displeased by men rebelling against him, and he speaks against them, and he vexes them. He gives them trouble. And there's trouble throughout the earth, and God sends it. We just had a tsunami. Tsunamis aren't freaks of nature. Tsunamis are God sending water. He sent water once before and drowned a whole lot more than 226,000. He drowned the entire earth with the flood in Noah's day, if you believe the Bible, and we do. There's no freaks of nature, and there are no accidents In the course of humanity, God is in charge and control of it all. And he said he will vex men and trouble them when they rise up against him. You know, the kings and the nations and the heathen that are mentioned here in the first three verses are primarily the Romans and the Jews who stood against the Lord Jesus Christ and crucified him. But what happened to the Jews? Did the Lord Jesus Christ vex them in his sore displeasure? In 70 A.D., The Roman armies encompassed the city of Jerusalem, and 1.1 million Jews starved to death or murdered each other in the most horrible single city destruction the world has ever seen or ever will see. Nothing like that happened in World War II. Hiroshima and Nagasaki were church picnics compared to the destruction of Jerusalem. Go look at the numbers. They starved to death. Josephus, the Jewish historian who witnessed that tragedy uh, on his own nation, knew women by name who ate their own children in the siege of the city of Jerusalem. Now that's being vexed. That's being troubled when you eat your own children. And that happened in 70 AD. You can read about it on a thousand websites. The Roman armies under Titus, who was then the prince of the Roman Empire, took the city of Jerusalem and leveled it. He became Caesar after that. 
But how long did the Caesars last? In 470, in the 400s, the 5th century, the Huns, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, and many more overran the Roman Empire and destroyed it. They sacked Rome several times. And the Roman Empire was gone. And it's never reappeared. What used to be the Roman Empire, the nation of Italy, was the joke of World War II for their inability to fight compared to the other nations around them. The power of Rome is totally gone. Jokes of modern military are made of the Italian army, air force, because the Roman army is gone. God vexed them in his sore displeasure and got rid of both enemies. This, this chapter goes on to describe God exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. See, there are kings of the earth, but God has his king. And his king is our king. Amen. His king is my king. Amen. And I hope his king is your king. Amen. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And that is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sits in heaven at this very hour. Now the Lord Jesus Christ speaks in prophecy in verse 7. And says of, of the Lord, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And that is not his birth. That is his resurrection and coronation at the right hand of God, because every time that verse is quoted in the New Testament, it's not the birth of Jesus. It's the coronation of Jesus at the right hand of God, because that's when he set him as king. While he was on earth, he was a carpenter's son, born in a stable, laid in a manger, and died between two thieves. But God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name, and given him the heathen for his inheritance in verse 8. And thanks be to God, he's given us for the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we are his. He owns us, and we want to please him in every way that we can. Verse 9 describes the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is going on at this hour. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. That's the nations, the heathen, and the kings that rose up against God. You know, when Jesus Christ came, there was the Roman Empire, which dominated the known world, controlled it with absolute tyranny. Before the Romans were the Greeks under Alexander the Great and his four generals to whom the empire was divided. Before the Greeks were the Persians. Before the Persians were the Babylonians. Before the Babylonians were the Assyrians. Before the Assyrians were the Egyptians. And they ruled the world with dominating force. But since the Roman Empire and the Lord Jesus Christ has been on his throne, he's dashed the nations into pieces. When you look at a political globe, you know, if you had looked at a political globe in the year zero, when our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, there was one color, because there was one empire, Roman Empire. Now there are 300 little colors, because he's dashed them in pieces, there, there have been so many efforts made to put a world empire back together, and they all crumble in pieces. Napoleon couldn't get close to it, and neither could Adolf Hitler and others who have wanted to have a world empire. Look what happened to the great efforts of the Soviet Union. They've been crumbled into pieces. The British Empire, pick any side you wish. You know, the sun never set on the British flag, it used to be said, but look at their power today. Jesus Christ has crushed the nations into little pieces and fragments. What's the conclusion? What is all that about? Verses 10, 11, and 12. Be wise now, therefore, 
O ye kings. Do you want to learn some wisdom? I've just told you that there's a king above you, O ye kings. Be wise. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. And what should they learn? And what should they do? Verse 11. Amen. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Amen. You know, only a Christian can understand that combination. In my natural mind, trembling and rejoicing don't go together. When I'm trembling, I'm not rejoicing. When I'm rejoicing, I'm not trembling. But a Christian understands how they go together. Because he is our great God and creator and coming judge, we tremble. Because he is our heavenly father and has loved us with an everlasting love, we rejoice. We rejoice and tremble at the same time. And that's the relationship that a child ought to have to its father. Rejoice and tremble, not wanting to displease his father and being thankful that he's got the father he does. And so we have that 11th verse that tells us how we ought to respond to this psalm. And verse 12 goes on to say, kiss the son. This kiss is an act of obeisance to the son of God. Get down and kiss the son. Show him your loyalty, your affection, and your service, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. When the Lord Jesus Christ puts down his long-suffering that has been holding him back for 2,000 years and comes to show himself to this earth, he will come in flaming fire with his mighty angels to destroy his enemies. That day is coming, and we ought to kiss the Son so that he finds us serving and obeying him when he comes. The chapter concludes, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. What a difference. It's describing the Son of God breaking the nations in pieces with a rod of iron, and then it says, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And I hope and exhort you today that your trust is fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has set his king upon his holy hill of Zion, and he's there to this day. And he's coming for us soon. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen.